In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. On this feast of Our Lady of Fatima, we um, we want to enter into prayer, into intimate communion with Our Lady, with Mary. And in a sense, communion with Mary, conversation, intimacy, friendship, love, is easy because she is our mother. So it's co-natural to us to have a deep connection with her. In a sense, we don't even need to think about it. It's the most natural thing in the world. One thinks of that beautiful poem by Jordan Manley Hopkins. The Blessed Virgin Mary, compared to the air we breathe, Our Lady is so discreet, so gentle, so so self-effacing and yet absolutely vital for life that's like the air we breathe the air we breathe so in this sense prayer we could say is easy because we're in the presence of our mother who knows us and loves us better than anybody else and who understands us better than anybody else so we ask you, Mother, with tremendous confidence, with great hope and, and with joy, to help us to pray well. I guess all the different interventions of Our Lady down through history uh, show us different aspects of her personality. You know, Our Lady is a person, a genuine living person, and therefore she has her own personality, which which... It's our gift to discover and to savour. And we, we come to know the personality of our Mother Mary in a special way, of course, through Scripture um, in the Old Testament. I was reading a theologian recently who said, you know, the Church's teaching on Mary is entirely woven from the Old and the New Testament. And that's true. In sacred scripture, Our Lady is prefigured in different ways, in the Psalms, in the heroic women of the Old Testament. Um, Our Lady also is obviously is present in the New Testament, but she doesn't say very much. Therefore, the little that she does say, we pay special heed to, such as, do whatever he tells you. That could be a message for our whole life, couldn't it? But most of the time, Our Lady is extremely discreet, like the air we breathe, discreet and yet vital and necessary in the New Testament. But there is one uh, passage about Our Lady in the New Testament which is different, and that's um, chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, or the book of the Apocalypse, 
a vision which St. John the Apostle received when he was in exile on Patmos on that island. And it's a most unusual um, image of our mother, of the mother of God and of the mother of the church. So it's, it's well worthwhile our praying about it calmly, especially today on the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, because the image of the woman clothed with the sun crowned with stars and the moon at her feet is apocalyptic apocalyptic literature in scripture has as its characteristics that it's dramatic it's almost we could say scary very often it has to do with the end times or major changes very often there are big cosmic manifestations or events in apocalyptic literature in scripture i suppose the best known examples of apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament are some parts of the book of Daniel and in the New Testament the book of Revelation itself including the passage we're considering now but in the interventions of our Blessed Lady in Fatima there is something also I think of the apocalyptic it is a little bit scary it is about great changes and cosmic happenings we think also of the miracle of the sun, which is an extraordinary miracle and in a sense culminated in the various apparitions, sorry, culminated, was a culminating point of the various apparitions at Fatima. You know, um, there's something apocalyptic about Our Lady of Fatima. So I think somehow she relates Our Lady of Fatima to um, Our Lady of the Apocalypse, as seen by John. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems upon his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is a typically apocalyptic passage. Numbers of days, cosmic happenings, huge threats, drama, danger. And what, Lord, are you saying to us in this passage of Scripture? We know, and it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, that we... We don't just interpret scripture as it comes off the top of our head, but we do it within, you might say, the sanctified, venerable, prayed and somehow Holy Spirit guaranteed tradition of the church. And in this woman who's suffering with the pangs of childbirth, the church has always seen herself. Of course, this passage refers to Our Lady, but the church has always seen herself 
also, that the, this passage refers also to the church and to the sufferings of the church and to the threats to the church. In fact, um, Brad Petrie, in his wonderful book, The Jewish Roots of Mary, it's, it's great to read on uh, read that book, you know, the whole Mariology of the Old Testament or the whole roots of, of Marian devotion of the person of Mary in Jewish tradition and in the Old the Old Testament. It's, it's a very rich book and very readable as well, thank God. Um, he talks about this passage and, and he makes the point that it doesn't refer to the virgin birth because Our Lady, the woman here, is in pangs and in anguish and that is not the case at the virgin birth. So in fact, in the tradition of the church, this woman who's in travail is often seen as referring to Our Lady at the foot of the cross. And the reference to the male child, her male child being, quote, caught up to God and to his throne, is seen as referring to our Lord's resurrection and ascension. But this passage has always been seen in the great tradition of the church also as referring to the church herself, the church who is afflicted and who is attacked, who is attacked by the dragon, who is under pressure. And at times it looks like the Christ that the church is trying to bring to the world, the Jesus we want to spread, the gospel we want to share, that is going to just be sucked up and eliminated by the dragon, by the devil. But that never happens because the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. But sometimes we might have that feeling, you know, also in a highly secularized environment such as our own uh, and so many difficulties and I mean, I don't want to overplay them, but we'd have to say there are formidable challenges to the Catholic faith and to Christian faith in general. Formidable. But we must never forget, and this is an important thing, I guess, to, to ask the Holy Spirit for in our prayer, that one little ounce, one little ounceine of the grace of God is much more formidably, in the good sense, powerful than the work of the devil. So that in the midst of suffering and difficulties and ructions and hassles and confusions, which is part and parcel of the life of the church, we know that the church is the place ultimately of peace and of redemption and of abiding love and life, of definitive victory over evil. And yet, in this veil of tears on this earth, the church does suffer. And right now, in our prayer, let's pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are suffering now for their faith, and they are many, many. We can think of Nigeria. Uh, we should, I suppose, we are painfully aware of, of what's happening to Catholics there. Uh, we think of other parts of the world. There are many parts that we could mention. We entrust them to the Queen of Peace, to Our Lady of Fatima, to her intercession. But also, you might say there's the sufferings of the Church that goes on in a more subtle way, in the undermining or mocking of the church that can happen in a secularized environment. It's like a subtle but real persecution. And then you might say there's the suffering in the church that goes on inside myself, <laughs> that I'm a messer. I'm not what I should be. I'm a sinner. I know what I'm called to be, but I'm far from it. And that contradiction, that tension, that gap within myself, you could say, it's part of the ructions the church has to suffer. But in the end, our Lord always triumphs. 
he always triumphs because the church is his and is in his hands. And that, I suppose, is one of the key lessons of Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady speaking to these children, her chosen witnesses, at a time when the church is under extreme pressure in Portugal, uh, a serious persecution, but also worldwide. And the content of the vision which those little children had and which was only revealed, I think, was it in the year 2000, around that time, when St. John Paul II went to Fatima and revealed uh, that um, vision that up to then had not been shared with anybody. And at the time, the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote a doctrinal note alongside the, the vision. But the vision was, as I remember, and here I don't have detail in front of me, of men and women of God, uh, priests and religious and lay people, being killed. And a bishop, as the children said, a bishop clothed in white, being shot and falling as if dead, but then being raised up by Our Lady. An extraordinary thing that they saw in 19, um, whenever it was, I'm not sure, was it 1917 when they had that vision? Uh, and then, I mean, it's like an adventure story, you couldn't uh, invent it. On the 13th of May, 1981, at, at the general audience in St. Peter's Square. So on the, on the feast precisely of Our Lady of Fatima, John Paul II is shot and almost dies, almost dies. If the bullet had been even a fraction closer to his heart, he would be dead. And we know that he, um, on his recovery, went to Fatima and he placed the bullet, it's now encrusted within the, the crown of Our Lady of Fatima. You couldn't invent it, you couldn't make it up. The hand of God is certainly there. But what's important is that while there are travails and difficulties, you might say apocalyptic shenanigans, <laughs> scary things in the life of the world, and in the life of the church indeed, we are invited by Our Lady always to be people of peace, of serenity, of joy, because the Lord has risen from the dead and the Lord is with his church and even if at times it looks like the dragon is going to devour the child he never does because he's utterly incapable of doing so so I ask you Lord today through the intercession of Our Lady of Fatima maybe I should say her full title as she presented herself Our Lady of the Holy Rosary that's how she presented herself at Fatima and that's significant we ask to the intercession of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary of Fatima that we would be filled with peace and joy, with tremendous serenity, with firmness in our faith, that nothing would faze us, not even our own weaknesses or the weaknesses of anybody else, or the difficulties in the life of the church or in the world, or opposition or apparent apathy or outright um, animosity, whatever it might be. We've been here before, we'll be here again, but at the end of the day, Christ has truly risen. So Mary, our mother, today we ask you to fill us with, with Paschal joy, with Easter joy. St. Josemaria at times, as we know, encouraged his spiritual children to have a superiority complex. Now, by that he in no way meant arrogance or self-confidence or you know, 
vulgar pluckiness, but rather a deep faith, a serenity, an assurance based on the risen Lord. Serexit Dominus Verde, Alleluia. The Lord is truly risen, Alleluia. These days during the Easter season, it's traditional uh, that instead of the Angelus, we say the Queen of Heaven prayer, the Regina Celi prayer. And it's a funny kind of prayer, isn't it, where we say to Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, rejoice, rejoice. As if Our Lady needs to be reminded that she should rejoice. But maybe that's what children do. Sometimes they say kind of obvious things to their mother. They they emulate her and they, they share in her joy. Maybe that's what we're doing in the Regina Chaley. Maybe we're, we're increasing our own joy by contemplating our mother's joy. Well, Mother, today on the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, on, on the feast of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary of Fatima, grant us joy and peace and give us the assurance of faith, a deep, deep, strong conviction of faith. We may or may not feel this emotionally. We mightn't feel terribly confident at times. We might feel doubtful. We might feel precarious. And why wouldn't we? Because we are very precarious. St. Peter denied our Lord three times and he was the rock on which the church was built. So you and I who have to be in our own way rocks or bricks in the edifice of Holy Church, we're also maybe personally vulnerable. For sure we are. But don't worry. We look to Christ. We look to Our Lady. We look to the foundations of our faith. We don't look too much at ourselves. There isn't that much to see sometimes. <laughs> but... Uh, Yes, when we look at our Lord, when we look at Our Lady, we see how much we are loved. We see the reasons for our hope and our assurance. This child that um, the woman gives birth to, and, and this child who certainly survives, and not only that, but is brought to heaven, is Jesus Christ. If we interpret the image of the book of Revelation as being as the woman, as being the church, well, it's Christ. It's, it's, it's the church of God who has as her mission to bring Christ to birth in souls and in society, in the world, in human culture. If we interpret this woman as being our Blessed Lady, which is also a perfectly valid interpretation and one which the church has embraced since the beginning, well, the child she brings forth again is Christ her only begotten son, the word made flesh. And this child is not a source of tension or friction or animosity, but rather in his very being, he is peace. He is peace in person. He is peace itself. And that's why, while there is an apocalyptic style to the book of Revelation, and in a certain sense, I think we can say, there's an apocalyptic style to the apparitions of Fatima, we don't lose our peace. Because we know that in the end of the day, all is well, all is very well, and all will be very well. Because Christ himself is the child of this woman, and he is our peace. In the, book, uh, sorry, in the letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, St. Paul is talking to the Gentiles, or those who were Gentiles, who were pagans, prior to their entry into the church. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. Isn't that beautiful and worth meditating on for a long time? For he is our peace. So this conflict, this tension, this, this suffering that we see in the book of Revelation, that we experience in our own lives, uh, all around us, in, 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 in history, in, in the wars, in strife, in, in difficulties, and the sufferings of families, the sufferings of the church, the sufferings of our own souls at, time, at times, there is a resolution to that. And that resolution is a person he himself is our peace. Ipsa est pax nostra. He himself is our peace, says St. Paul. And Lord Jesus, you bring us peace through the cross. That's, that's what St. Paul says here. Uh, we have been brought near in the blood of Christ. He has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. In this context, probably we can understand well um, Our Lady's exhortation to penance and to sacrifice, which is a key part of the message of Fatima, as we know. It is kind of striking how the little children, and they were so small, so young, um, took on certain certain mortifications and certain sacrifices, um, you know, at Our Lady's encouragement. So this element of penance, of sacrifice, of self-giving love, you might say, is essential to the Christian faith. Why? Because it's a sharing in the cross of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, which brings ultimate peace. And therefore, in the work of evangelization, in the work of apostolate, it, this is essential. There's no true sharing of the gospel without suffering. And I, I don't mean here strange mortifications or odd things. For most of us, our mortifications will be doing our work well, uh, smiling uh, even when we're tired, being loving towards our family, our spouses, our siblings, our colleagues. That's sacrifice enough. Uh, getting out of bed on time, uh, forgiving people who have hurt us, uh, having those awkward conversations that need to be had, whatever, getting the car fixed when I'm under pressure, a million and one things. Lord, help me to do those things and to offer them with equanimity because you yourself are our peace. And these things that, that, that I find hard, and, and sometimes the cross may be bigger, it may be a serious illness or a big family difficulty or the loss of our employment or an emotional uh, anguish. It, it could be any number of things. We, we, we know there's a vast gamut of human suffering. Well, if our Lord permits a bigger cross, with your grace, Lord, I want to embrace it, I want to accept it, and I want to offer it, because it's through your blood, through your cross, that, that peace is made. So Our Lady of Fatima, yes, she is the woman of the cross, that's for sure, and she's the woman who's encouraging sacrifice, but above all, she's the woman of peace. She's the woman of Christ, and he himself is our peace.
Lord Jesus, you are our peace. And the child brought forth by the woman is peace in person. It's lovely in our prayer we can often consider our Lord Jesus from, from different angles, you know, and to look at his personality from different points of view. Christ, the infant, Christ, the worker, the carpenter, or stroke builder, Christ, the teacher, Christ, the friend, the great friend, Christ, the priest, Christ, the victim, Christ, glorious, Christ, discreet, Christ, asleep in the boat, Christ, um, celebrating the first mass of the Last Supper, Christ, nailed to the cross, Christ, finding it hard to breathe, Christ, dehydrated, Christ, dead, Christ, glorious, Christ, risen, Christ exhilarated, Christ um, in his ascension. There, there's so many ways that we can contemplate you, Lord. Christ hidden in the sacraments, but really there. Hidden, but really there. In the Eucharist, in the other sacraments, Christ there. But also, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to consider Christ as our peace. What does that say about the personality of Jesus? He himself is our peace. It's up to you, and it's up to me, I guess, to unpack that in our prayer. I guess we come to an understanding of um, the peace who Christ is through Our Lady in a special way. And the woman clothed with the sun. Well, what is that sun if not Christ himself? In the Old Testament, we have that phrase, you know, of the sun of justice, which refers ultimately to Christ. The woman clothed with the sun who's so close to Christ. And the woman crowned with the stars, the 12 stars, which refer, of course, to the 12 tribes of Israel and in turn to the 12 apostles. And therefore, those 12 stars refers to the people of God, the church of the old covenant, the Jewish people, and the church of the new covenant, all of us. And by extension, the whole human race, because every human being is called to the church, is invited to the church. So we see that Our Lady's communion with Jesus, with Christ, her identification with, with the Lord, brings about a very profound identification with God's people. You, you can't separate it. And here there's a, a wonderful lesson for us as well, isn't there? That, well, I'm going to give it to you in the words of Pope Benedict XVI from a homily he gave a few years ago on Our Lady. He says, the closer a person is to God, the closer that person is to people. We see this in Mary. The fact that she is totally with God is the reason why she, why she is so close to human beings. The fact that she is totally with God is the reason why she is so close to human beings. This is why Our Lady is the mother of peace. She brings us Christ as no one else can do. But Mother, I'm also conscious, deeply conscious, that in spite of my own weakness and I suppose, precariousness and, and vulnerability and all the rest. I am called, we are called to be sowers of peace and joy, to use that phrase of St. Maria. In fact, St. Maria, you may remember, he referred to Christians in general and to people of the work uh, and the work itself as being quasi-fluvium patches, like a great river of peace, which is a, a phrase that's used by the prophet Isaiah. Uh, that's what I'd like to be. I'd like to be like a river of peace. Today, too, we remember especially Sister Lucia and, of course, the other two visionaries of Fatima, who are now saints, canonized, 
uh, Jacinta and Francisco. We remember also with gratitude how it's Sister Lucia who brought about the expansion of the work into Portugal because um, at the beginning of 1945 um, the Bishop of Tui, um, who was a great friend of the founder of the work, uh, asked Saint Josemaria, "Would he like to meet Saint, uh, sorry, meet Sister Lucia, uh, who was living in Tui at that time? Uh, that's in Galicia, in Spain. Later, she became a Carmelite uh, in a different order. She changed order and became a Carmelite in Coimbra. That's where she died in two thousand and five, after a very long life. She died only a few weeks before Saint John Paul II died. But when Saint Josemaria met her in nineteen forty-five. And she told him that Opus Dei had to go to Portugal. And St. Josemaria said, well, we didn't have any passport. She said, I'll arrange that for you right now. She made a phone call to Lisbon and managed to get a document for the founder and a few others to cross the border. She, uh, she had a big role in, in the work in the work of Opus Dei beginning in Portugal. So there is that link. There is quite a strong link between the work, the founder of the work and Our Lady of Fatima not just to do with the beginning of the apostolic work in Portugal, but because St. Josemaria went so often to Fatima to pray. So today we pray to our mother with confidence, with intimacy, Our Lady of Peace, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. Pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this time of prayer. I ask you for help to put them into effect my Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.